it's really easy to miss a step. Coming up with a systematic approach to backcountry travel felt really important. Tradition of mentorship. Welcome to episode 2.7 of the Avalanche Hour podcast, presented by TAS Gazex on Avalanche of Solutions. With additional support from Black Diamond Peeps, Live, Ski, Repeat, as well as 10 Barrel Brewing. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. That's right, you heard it. We have a new supporter of the podcast, Ten Barrel, because there's nothing more satisfying after a great day of skiing or riding safely than cracking a beer while you debrief your tour day with your partners. In 2006, three guys started a brewery in Bend, Oregon, with a simple mindset of brewing beer, drinking beer, and having fun while doing it. Ever since then, Ten Barrel has been providing refreshment to the conclusion of great days in the outdoors. Check out one of their great pubs in Bend, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, Boise, Idaho, Denver, Colorado, and San Diego, California. You're sure to find a beer to quench your thirst of adventure. Happy New Year! I hope you had a great and safe holiday season. Hopefully you got some skiing or riding in. Didn't quite get all the gear you wanted from Grandma, Uncle Joe, or Santa? Head on over to Black Diamond's website to check out their huge selection of ski touring gear, avalanche safety equipment, packs, and gloves. They've got you covered. I've been staying busy in the early winter here in Oregon. I had a great time teaching an airy level one course in Bend with the super nice folks at Oregon Ski Guides. I'm always amazed at the level of commitment and engagement from students in these courses. I've talked on some other episodes about implementing a systematic approach to recreating in the backcountry. By taking an avalanche course or furthering your avalanche education, You learn the tools to recognize and assess the avalanche hazard, work as a team to identify avalanche terrain, and travel safely through that terrain. If your New Year's resolution is to further your avalanche education, then you are in luck. Today's episode is centered around avalanche education, especially with the new avalanche educational structured paradigm. I think this interview will help you navigate your way to where you might fit into the new structure. We sit down with Sarah Carpenter of the American Avalanche Institute. I caught up with Sarah in her really sweet yurt in Victor, Idaho back in the fall, and she explained some of the history of the American Avalanche Institute, as well as the wide variety of courses they offer. I then asked Sarah to recap a talk that she recently gave about recreating like a professional. 
through the utilization of systems-based approach to backcountry riding. I think you'll really like this talk. Dropping in with Sarah Carpenter. Sarah, thanks for sitting down with me in beautiful Victor, Idaho. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm here with Sarah Carpenter. She's part owner of American Avalanche Institute. And Sarah, I was hoping you could just give us a brief uh, history of, of how you got here today. What does is, what is your career look like? So I started my career right out of college as a ski patroller at Bridger Bowl. And I patrolled at Bridger Bowl for a couple of years. And then I moved up to the Yellowstone Club, where I ski patrolled for a year. And from there, I was lured away by the mountains of Jackson and, and this area. So I came down here and, and started teaching avalanche courses. And I worked for Knowles for a while, doing outdoor programs for them in the winter and mountaineering. And then transitioned to guiding. And uh, so I have used to guide for Alpine Ascents a lot in the summer. And then in the winter, I work as a ski guide for a variety of operations around here. And then bought the American Avalanche Institute eight years ago with two partners from Rod. Cool. So what, what, what are some of the guiding organizations that you currently work with? So currently I ski guide for the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. I take folks out of bounds there. And then I also work for Exum Mountain Guides as well as Yosmark Backcountry Tours. Cool. Yeah. So you, I imagine you stay pretty busy in the wintertime. The wintertime is very busy, but yeah. it's great. I love it. Awesome. So uh, I, was, I was hoping you could give us a, a brief history of American Avalanche Institute. It's been around for a long time, and uh, I was just hoping to hear about some of the beginnings and as you understand it, and then and then the transition when you guys bought it. Yeah, we so AAI was started in 1974 by Rod Newcomb. It's the oldest avalanche education school in the country, and Rod saw a need for actually teaching people about snow. Uh, around here, he taught a bunch down in Utah, down in Colorado, up in Bozeman, uh, and all of us, myself, Don Sheriff and Don Carpenter, the three owners of AAI, we all worked for Rod for years. And, uh, and in 2009, the three of us approached Rod to buy the company because he was ready to sell. Um, and really our goal with AAI and what it's always been is hands-on experience in the snow. So we really, what's important for us with students walking out of courses is they have useful tools and applicable tools. So we do some focus on science, but more than anything, we really try and give students a system for approaching the backcountry, for planning before they walk out there, for sorting information when they're out in the field, and then also for learning when they're done with the day. And uh, and Rod started that, just giving students tools to use in the backcountry. And, you know, the other thing he started was he always hired professionals. So anyone that works for AI from the start all the way through now, they're industry professionals. So they either are forecasters or guides or ski patrollers. Um, so they've got a ton of experience both teaching and then also managing and, th- and thinking in, um, in a bigger perspective. So thinking about running an organization or, or participating. So we feel like that's really important in terms of our students getting as much as they can out of it. Mm-hmm. 
anything else that sets AEI apart from other avalanche educational organizations, you think? You know, I, I really think that the quality of our staff is amazing. Uh, they're all just phenomenal industry professionals. So that to us is first and foremost. And then the other thing is the only thing we do is avalanche education. So we, since 1974, we've been building curriculum, developing it, teaching it to students, adapting it every year. Um, we don't run a guiding operation. We don't do anything else. It's all that we do. And I think that that piece is also a really cool piece of our organization. Mm -hmm. yeah. So could you just highlight some of the courses that you'll be offering this year and maybe speak to how you guys have prepared for the uh, pro-rec transition that's going on? Yeah, so we, I'm guessing we'll run somewhere around 75 avalanche courses this year. Wow. Yeah, in maybe six or seven different states. Cool. So um, we run all, we run courses for recreationists. So we'll run uh, a rescue fundamentals training. We'll run level one courses. We'll run rec, rec level two courses. We'll also run some refresher courses for all those levels. Um, we, in terms of professional training, we've been doing it forever and, uh, we're going to continue running pro training. We're going to run some bridge courses for folks to take their level twos and bring them up to professional level one equivalency. We're also going to run some professional level one courses as well as professional level two courses. We've got these great, uh, we've got a pro rescue course. That's four days that we run every year down in park city with, um, two guys that have different perspectives on rescue. So folks get a lot out of that. Um, we run a dog course and we also run a winter weather forecasting course with Jim Woodmancy, as well as a big youth program for a variety of kids. And we also work with military and ski areas. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's the whole gamut. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, and you know, for us, that's, part of what we love is we get to take our curriculum and our knowledge and and adjust it to the target audience so when we're teaching kids at the high school we focus a lot on hands-on experiences and interaction and and lots of activity and when we're teaching the military we focus on efficiency because they get limited time when they're out in the field to actually be able to do this so it's a cool we we love being able to just touch a bunch of different audiences mm-hmm that's that's great. I think there's a lot of confusion within student populations, both on the recreationist side and the professional side, about where they fit into this new paradigm of curriculum. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe break it down for our listeners, what sort of courses they should be looking at, and maybe we could give some scenarios um, about about a specific student type. Right. Yeah, it's a great question. I've spent most of the fall on the phone with people confused about where they go. And everyone starts at a level one. So if you want to be a pro, if you want to just go backcountry skiing, everyone takes a level one. And then the next step is actually everyone should take the rescue fundamental course. And it's a one day training. It's all outside and it's all on rescue. So beacon skills, going through scenarios, how to communicate with people, all of that. And it's an awesome training. It's a great refresher for, you know, early season when you haven't pulled out anything. And then from there, so once everyone's taken a level one and a rescue course. Which could be taken before or after the level one. Yep. 
Yeah, the rescue course could be a standalone course or it can be taken after the level one. Um, the next part is the choose your own adventure. And if you don't want to be a ski patroller or a ski guide or a forecaster, then you take the recreational track. And we may need to edit the language around that because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great course and it's not just if you're not working out there. But uh, so if you want to take a recreational class, the next step is a recreational level two. And actually what we did this season is we folded in that um, one day rescue training into the course. So students can just come straight from a level one into that level two. And that is a really cool course. It's three and a half days and it's really focused on taking what people learn from a level one throwing out some of the rules of thumb that are have exceptions to it. So giving people a little more science and then spending a ton of time in the field, assessing terrain, talking about how to move people through terrain, talking about how to assess stability with efficient stability tests. Um, just a lot of field time to apply all the knowledge and, and get coaching on it, have someone else's eyes on it. Yeah, and, and and maybe for people that are looking to be a leader within their group of of maybe less experienced folks. Yeah, it's a great tool for folks who want to be a leader in their group. It's also a great tool for folks who want to do more remote trips because we talk a lot about how do you gather information if you don't have a forecast? How do you gather information just by looking out the window? What are you factoring in? So um, folks who are doing big remote trips and also just people who are like, yeah, I took my level one like three years ago and I just want more information or I can't remember everything. So I want a refresher that rec level two is a great place to start. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other side of the adventure path is the professional courses and those pro courses are really geared for people who want to be in the industry. And we're trying to have, more standardized outcomes. So, and I'm going to emphasize outcomes because the curriculum is still different. You still get the AAI special twist to it or whatever other course provider you choose, you get a different twist to it, but we're all testing to the same outcomes. So anyone who walks out of a pro one has been tested to the same standard in five or six different categories. So that's, that's why we're going in this direction. So if, if you want to be a professional, and you've taken a level one, the next step is to take, uh, and that rescue class, the next step is to take the professional level one. Um, and that's, it's a five day course. It's a pass fail course. You get a lot of coaching the first few days. And then there are some testing scenarios, um, throughout the course. Uh, and so that's sort of your next step. But folks who this year, like I took my level two a couple years ago, or people who have taken a level two but want to be on the professional track should take a bridge course. And the reason we put the bridge course in there is we don't like flaming hoops. And if you've already taken a level two, a lot of this information is in that pro one, but none of the testing standards were in the level two. So we've taken the pro one testing standards and we've put them into a two day course. Um, and so it's review and introduction to some skills online pre-course. Then there's more coaching when you get here on the first day. And then it's a testing day, basically. So that's sort of where that bridge course fits in. It's for folks with a level two that they took before this season. And that thing's going to stick around for 
I bet three years, but for sure for two years. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then sort of the pinnacle of pro education in the U S is the pro two. And that is similar to what the level three used to be, except we're able to pull out some of those testing standards because we're doing them in the pro one now. So yeah, it's, uh, it, hopefully it ends up actually catering to everyone in a more effective manner, but I do think we're going to have a bit of a learning curve in terms of where to fit everyone in and, and what those courses look like. Yeah. And, and we should add that, um, many of, you know, this, this has been a long process through working with the American Avalanche Association and many other providers throughout the United States to come up with these standards in this curriculum track. Um, so here, here's a scenario. So I have a friend, and they were a, a professional patroller for six years, mm-hmm. and they ran many avalanche control routes. They went through their level two. Um, they've since now uh, transitioned into a career as a paramedic. They patrol six days a year, mm-hmm. and they're an avid backcountry skier, and they feel like they want to further their education or refresh their education, what suggestions would you make to to do so? I think they have two options. Um, I think it's not a bad choice to do the bridge course in the next two to three years because if they choose to go back to patrolling more, they have that standard and they won't have to start at a lower level, start at that pro one. Mm-hmm. So I would say do the pro one bridge course at some point. And what we've done at AAI is made it so it's not just a straight test. There's some cool educational, um, there's some good classes in there. There's a forecasting scenario. There's some participatory things that folks will walk away getting stuff out of. So I think that's one great way to go. Another great way, obviously, is to just take that one-day rescue training mm-hmm. is a great thing. Um, or we also offer a level two refresher, which is one evening and one full day. And that's more backcountry focus. So if this friend of yours wants to really focus on brushing their skills up for backcountry travel rather than ski area stuff, then I would do the refresher course where one evening in the classroom reviewing concepts that we all forget – near surface faceting or how to read the bulletin, where to find info, and then one full day in the field, just honing skills and answering questions. So those are those are the options. And then there's always, for us, we love the pro rescue course, um, especially if anyone's working at all, you know, as a paramedic and a rescuer at a ski area, that's a great training because it's focused on interagency rescues, the incident command system, all of that, so... Cool. Those are a few options. Yeah, that's really good insight. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Um, I was hoping you could talk about some of the the work that you guys do with the Avalanche Awareness Program at Jackson Hole High School and uh, sounds like the middle school as well. Yeah, it's been an amazing program. Um, you know, it started before we bought the company. Rod started it with a high school teacher named Garrick Hart over in Jackson. Um, and Stephen Koch plugged in to help and get some sponsorship and support. And uh, basically it's evolved. We've worked really closely with Garrick and some other teachers, and it is now students at the Jackson High School in their senior year of science get 10 days of avalanche awareness in the classroom. So we basically have this whole avalanche awareness curriculum 
AAI staff comes in for part of it. The teachers teach part of it. It's focused on, you know, interactive, engaging exercises. So these guys are um, thinking about where to find the forecast, thinking about, oh, it's snowing. What what would I be concerned about? They understand the difference between ski area and backcountry. And if they're not skiers or snowboarders or snowmobilers, they also recognize why it's important just as a resident of Jackson. So if you're going sledding, you think about, you know, where you're going to go sledding or driving into town. We have paths that have gone or roof avalanches. So we've tied it into a bit of a sense of place, but these guys get 10 days of just pure avalanche awareness. And then we get to do one full field day with all the high school seniors. This is all the seniors. This is all that was well, all the, yeah, all the seniors in science class. So last year we had 120 of them, I believe. Wow. We do, um, search and rescue comes out and helps. We get, to, we get a bunch of volunteers to come help us and we do snow pits and we do some rescue drills. And then if these kids are interested, they're welcome to continue and get a level one course, a level one certificate. And if they want to do that, they do two more field sessions. And we cater to snowboarders, skiers, and snowmobilers. So the snowmobilers will have one day on foot, uh, with, sort of paired with the skiers and snowboarders uh, up outside of Snow King. And then the second field day, Snow snowmobilers go up on Togety Pass on their snow machines. Skiers and snowboarders go up um, to Teton Pass and spend a day out there. Um, it's an amazing program, and it is all supported by the Steve Romeo Memorial Fund. His family has been instrumental in avalanche education in Jackson, Wyoming. They're so supportive. Um, and one of the high school teachers moved to the middle school a few years ago. And well, actually before that, uh, one of the middle school teachers was also an AAI instructor as well as an Exum guide. And so we worked together along with the art teacher, Shannon Hart, um, and built out a middle school awareness program. And that's targeted. It's open for anyone, but it's an after-school program. And so we tend to get the kids in the mountaineering program. Hmm. Um, and we do, I want to say, like four after-school programs with them. And again, just introducing the basics, more preaching abstinence, or you know, if your parents are backcountry travelers and they're going to take you out of bounds, like make sure everyone is prepared. Um, but we do a, a bunch of work after school with them and then we do a full field day with them as well. And we do some rescue drills. We also build snow shelters. Last year we built rescue sleds and showed them how to drag someone out if they had to. Um, and again, it's just, uh, starting with the middle school or even starting younger with some of the ski club kids. Our goal is just to give them that continuing messaging of awareness and, um, and just, you know, they live in these mountain towns. So as much as we can give them annual avalanche education, it's it for us, it's, it's our legacy piece as a company. It's what we're really proud of. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, Sarah. I mean, it's so important to, to set the hook young, especially in a mountain community such as Jackson or Teton Valley, this whole area. Um, any idea how many, seniors left or graduated with a level one certificate last year? You know, last year, I think we had about 24. So it was a smaller year. 
um, in the past, we've had anywhere from 30 to 40 seniors walk out with a level one. And if kids are, if students are interested before their senior year, they can actually take the whole thing. Um, the high school teachers are amazing and they show up at zero hour and they'll teach these guys and gals um, the whole progression before school if they want to do it before their seniors. So, wow. um, yeah, but I get, I bet we get, you know, 20 to 30 or 40 kids every year that get a level one and we get in the high school somewhere around 120 to 140 kids getting awareness. And then in the middle school, last year we started doing a, a two day program with all the eighth graders before Christmas break. Uh, and so then we're hitting all the eighth graders and then the after school programs probably 10 to 20 kids. So, wow. Um, Does that, is there any additional cost to the students for any of this? No, it's all, you know, we as a company, it's, it's how we give back. It's, you know, we don't, have a scholarship program for pros going through or um, folks wanting to get in, but we, this is what we do. We give back in terms of youth education. So the owners donate all of their time. Uh, we donate all of our course materials. Um, and then we, you know, the only thing we have to cover is our instructor time. And that ends up being covered by the Romeo foundation and I think some other grants. So it's a pretty amazing program for the kids at Jackson then. And, uh, and yeah, it's free. Yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah. I will say if anyone else wants to start a program, we've we've had a lot of inquiries about our youth curriculum and and that piece to us is worth spreading. So we've had some interest from people in Colorado and Montana and Idaho and and we're happily sharing curriculum with folks that know snow and avalanches. So yeah. And why, and why did you guys see the need for this or why why do you think Rod saw the need for this? Was there any um, impetus for that? You know, Garrick actually came to Rod and, you know, he was running the mountaineering club and all these, you know, there's a lot of Jackson kids that are skiing and riding inbounds, out of bounds, snowmobiling on Togedy Pass down in Alpine. And I think Garrick just had more connections with these folks and, and just saw that need. And, you know, for all of us as a company, whatever we can do to support it, we do. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. Yeah. So Sarah, you recently gave a talk at the Utah Snow and Avalanche Workshop this this past weekend about really recreating like a professional. I guess that was the the overall theme. Um, and you talked a little bit about a, a checklist or systems based approach to recreating an, an avalanche terrain. I was wondering if you could just kind of give us a synopsis of what you talked about there. Yeah, um, we've been working on a backcountry checklist for probably five years. And we worked with this guy named Dan Borman, who's in charge of building checklists at Boeing, or used to be. Um, I think he's still there. I don't know. But uh, basically what we felt like is, I don't know, when I go backcountry skiing, I feel like there's so much information I'm supposed to take in. And Sometimes I do all of it and sometimes I do some of it and it's really easy to miss a step. And it's also challenging as a backcountry traveler to figure out a communication system with regular partners and random people you just met or new partners. Uh, and so when we thought all thought about that, uh, coming up with a systematic approach to backcountry travel felt really important. And so it's gone through a lot of different iterations and and right now we're pretty happy with the draft we have but 
the goal is, is to basically write down the steps that'll kill us and make sure that we do them every day. We do all these steps every day. And so, um, we've got three sections to this checklist. And the first section is the pre-trip plan. And it's actually the longest part of the checklist. But the nice thing is it happens in your slippers while you're drinking coffee. Uh, and the goal is, is to gather the information to figure out what's going on outside. Has it snowed? Is it blowing? What's the avalanche hazard? What's the avalanche problem? And to take that and figure out terrain that you're willing to travel in. And figuring out terrain that is that you're willing to travel in for the day and also figure out terrain that's completely off limits. And what some of the psychology and research shows is if you commit to closing terrain, it's obviously not research on avalanche specific, but if you commit to something before you end up in an emotionally driven situation, your decision-making is much easier. So if I close north facing 40 degree terrain for the day, when I walk outside and hike up to the top of Mount Glory, my temptation to roll over into chicken scratch or my temptation to roll over into that steep north-facing terrain, well, it should, in theory, the temptation is always there, but I've already committed to my partners that that's off the table. And so the conversation veers towards this other terrain that might be more appropriate. So so the goal is, is to have a pre-trip plan where you've, taken some stuff off the table and you're committed to looking at reasonable, manageable terrain for the day and that everyone has a voice and everyone's bought into the plan. Because if we all have a voice before we walk out the door, we're all a lot more likely to speak up while we're in the field. Um, And then in the field, we have seven bullet points that basically every time you're going to enter avalanche train or as you're recognizing avalanche train, you're asking these seven questions. And basically the goal is, is you're asking the questions that pros are asking themselves. And it's, hey, is this terrain that I'm traveling in consistent with a pre-trip plan? Am I where I said I would go? (laughs) That's a great clue. Mm -hmm. Um, And then is there any obvious instability? Is mother nature screaming in my ear and I need to back off? And then looking at what is the avalanche problem here? How likely am I to trigger something? What's the consequence? And then beginning to make an assessment like, hey, is this terrain go or no go? And do I want to, how do I want to communicate that with people? So, and there's very few things on this checklist in the, in the, while you're out in the field, Uh, not because there's not a lot to take in, but it's because we took the factors that are likely to kill you the deadest, right? Like the questions that we all absolutely have to ask. Um, And that was the goal rather than trying to think about, well, is the wind speed 10 miles an hour? Is it 15 miles an hour? And is the sun really hot or just kind of hot? Or um, am I, am I being influenced by human factors or not really? So we just tried to ask really pointed questions that, that um, trigger the conversations that keep us on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a third section, which is the post-trip discussion. And the reality is, is that the world of snow and avalanches is a wicked learning environment. And we don't get feedback every time we go out. If we just narrowly got away with something, we, you know, oftentimes we make bad decisions, but we have no feedback on that. We didn't trigger an avalanche, but we've maybe just narrowly escaped with our life, but we have no idea. And if you're in an environment like that, sometimes the feedback you get is like the one dramatic event that seriously injures you or kills you. And 
you got to have another way to learn. And so the debrief is basically asking yourself and your partners, did we make good decisions? Did we manage terrain well? Did everything match the forecast? Do we have observations for the forecast center? It's not very, it's like five questions. I think the last one was, I forgot the last one, but uh, it's five questions and it doesn't take very long, but it's a great way to facilitate learning. If you can actually have that conversation with your partners. So having a systematic approach to backcountry travel, to running routes, if you're a ski patroller, to going out and snowmobiling, it's so important. And, you know, for me, I, we, I looked at my close calls and near misses and it was like, gosh, if I had a, a tool that I just committed to using every single day, I don't think a bunch of those near misses would have happened because I would have had a checklist out. We would have had agreed communication system and we would have said, Oh no, no, no conditions don't match the forecast. We need to pull the plug and change. So, um, that's really the goal of the checklist and we've had good feedback on it so far. So, yeah. And you know, many other industries have these checklists, high risk industries, you know, such as, um, aviation, firefighting, medical industry. Um, you know, so I think we're learning a lot from, from those folks as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, you hear pluses and minuses about checklists. And, and the reason I am really enthusiastic about this checklist is it gives us a system. It just gives us a way to sort information. You don't want to become complacent and just like pretend to go through the checklist. Um, but if you can just commit to using it, and for me, it's a nice way when I meet new partners, it's like, hey, here's how I roll every day. Let's just go through this. And then while we're out in the field, these are the seven things I want to communicate on the whole day. And it's, it makes traveling with new people a lot easier in terms of that communication uh, weirdness that sometimes we experience. Yeah. So um, something you said in your talk the other day was um, as you're guiding, you always have terrain on standby. And I really like that. So as you see conditions changing, maybe the wind is picking up or it's getting warmer. You always, and, and that's part of your pre-trip checklist is identifying terrain that you're going to avoid, but also having terrain that you can move to as terrain or as conditions change, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we broke it into three different categories. There's open terrain. Like I feel good about it no matter what, unless mother nature screen, unless I see obvious signs while I'm out there. Um, and then standby as we've phrased it is like, I need some more information. I'm not totally sure, but I'm totally willing to go investigate it. Uh -huh. Um, and then closed to is totally off limits, but having that range. Yeah. When conditions change, I'm going to go to that terrain that I was like open season, no problem. Um, whereas early when the weather hasn't changed and I feel good, maybe I'm in that standby terrain and I can back out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That seems really great. So is there anywhere that people can access this checklist or is it, is it through taking a... They can come take a course with us. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Or if folks see me at talks, we, we do hand it out. It is one of those tools, though, that you have to have education behind it. Yeah. And so we haven't made it freely available just because of that piece. Um, we keep entertaining it, but, but right. right now it's come take a course or catch us at a talk or send us an email. Yeah. Take a course, get the ticket. Yeah, exactly. Right on. Um, so Sarah, I was hoping you could maybe share some, some formative experiences or close calls or aha moments. I like to call them throughout your career. 
Um, you know, we like to think of avalanche education and our experiences as lifelong learning, right? I mean, this isn't, it's not exact science and it's pretty complex stuff. So um, I was hoping you could share some stories maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I started out my career up in Montana and I got to take my first avalanche course from Carl Berkland and Ron Johnson, which is quite the the blessing to go into the field with those guys. Um, and then I started ski patrolling at Bridger Bowl, which has this amazing uh, tradition of mentorship and folks just take you under your, their wings and you go through Joe Schmo's School of Bombs, which is Doug Richmond really coaching you on everything. And you get this experimentation, which was a phenomenal experience for me as a rookie patroller. Um, and then I moved to the Yellowstone Club and that for me was one of the more formative experiences of my career because I showed up when Tom Leonard, who's now the ski patrol director, was it was his first year as snow safety director. And it was early on in the Yellowstone Club's existence. And so Tom and I went out and we mapped avalanche paths and I dug a bunch of pits with him because I was always eager. And he would stand in pits and I would ask all sorts of questions, some of which I would probably roll my eyes at at this point, but like Tom was a gracious mentor. He let me ask all the questions and would patiently answer them or help guide me towards where I needed to be. And he let me run around and test all sorts of beacons and build all sorts of bomb trams. And um, it was just an amazing year of, of learning. So for me, that uh, mentorship was huge. The ability to stand in a pit and ask questions and, and, uh, yeah, that was super valuable. Um, and along the way, I've definitely had some some learning experiences. Um, you know, I've it's funny. One of them that actually comes to mind would be a really insignificant day in the most part. But there were, you know, my husband and I went and hiked up Mount Glory, which is sort of our backyard playground. And along the way, we like met up with friends. And all of a sudden, at the top of Mount Glory, there were eight people that we all knew that we were all supposed to like all of a sudden people were going to try and ski together and it was the biggest cluster I have ever been involved in and it was all avalanche professionals it was guides it was patrollers it was and we had terrible communication and we ended up splintering into like three or four groups and no one knew where anyone was and to me it was you know we got like I don't know the first pitch down and we were like this is not working. What is going on? Um, and that for me was actually this really f remarkable experience. It was like, oh my gosh, like we're all friends. We're all professionals. And sometimes there's just too many cooks in the kitchen. One. So I definitely only travel in small groups. And two, that crux of communication can get us in so many different ways. And so that for me has been this piece where it's like, yep, we have an agreed upon communication system every time. Um, and, you know, if I roll up and there's eight of my friends at the top of Mount Glory, I wave high, I interact with them and I'm like, hey, I just can't, I just ski in small groups and I peel out and, and uh, yeah, it's not this big, dramatic, near-death experience by any means, but it was one of those where I was like, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm on the learning curve here. Even though I thought I was doing great things and I'm with all my smart friends and we look like a bunch of idiots. Mm -hmm. um, and so that for me was a 
yeah, a good lesson. So, yeah. So yeah. what's what's the max group that you like to ski with? You know, I'll ski with four people, and every once in a while when I'm guiding, I'll have four clients, so I'll ski with five. Um, but the, at that point, it starts just getting a little overwhelming. Sure. Um, and if it's more than that, I'm happy to, you know, sort of stay in the same area, but just pot off and ski in two groups of three or um, – I think the only exception I made to that was uh, Christmas last year. We had six of us, and we just were in. We just skied smaller pitches, and we also just had an agreed communication system, which actually worked. But in general, I'm I'm the kid that skis with one other person, maybe two, and and that for me is a lot easier. Yeah, and some, sometimes that's hard to explain to your friends if they're not used to that, right? Yeah, and people's feelings can get hurt even, um, but. Yeah. But it's pretty important. Yeah, for me, I, I uh, yeah, it can create really funny dynamics. And at the same time, I just get so uncomfortable that I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. So I'm happy to hurt a couple feelings. Make plans to have to, dinner next week or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Catch up that way. Yeah. Yeah, some things for me. I mean, backcountry travel, it's it's an amazing gift. And it is also can be a high-stakes game. And so for me, that's one of those times that I'm going to just stand up for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sarah, any, anything else you want to highlight with the American Avalanche Institute or, or, uh, or the background of your career? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we are looking at another great winter and, and, uh, we love having folks take our courses. We're running courses in, Bozeman and Salt Lake and Jackson for the public. And then we've got a bunch of courses uh, down in Colorado and some in New Mexico and Oregon. So, yeah, folks in those states, we'd love it if they'd look us up. And, uh, you know, one thing that I will highlight is we're trying to use our social media as an informal mentorship tool. And so we've been trying to tap into our Instagram account where we're actually putting out messages and, and giving folks some some of our thinking with pictures. So techniques for travel and terrain, or we'll put out short videos on rescue tips or things like that. So um, yeah, shameless plug for following us on social media, but we are trying to use it less as a promotional tool, although we, you know, we're still a company, but more as a another way to reach people and actually just educate them in an informal setting. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say that, uh, you know, I follow you guys and I find all those videos very, very informative and, and it's a great resource that just pops up on your phone when you're doing something else. And, um, yeah, I enjoy watching all of them. Thank you. So what, what is your Instagram handle and, and how can people follow you on social media and what's your website? Yeah. So our Instagram handle and Twitter is at Avi Institute. And then you can find us on Facebook at American Avalanche Institute. And uh, our website is AmericanAvalancheInstitute.com. Cool. Yeah. Any shout-outs to any uh, any supporters of American Avalanche Institute? You know, honestly, my, my our number one supporter is the Steve Romeo Memorial Fund. Those, uh, that foundation is amazing in their support for youth avalanche education. Um, we also are working this year with Backcountry Access and Steo and Fisher Skis. So we're psyched to be working with them. But, cool. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Cheers. 
hope you enjoyed the show. Cruise over to www.theavalanchehour.com and click on useful links to find some resources on where you can sign up for an avalanche course. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter and you will be entered to win a pair of legend gloves courtesy of Black Diamond Equipment. The drawing will take place on January 15th. Congrats to Elliot Reed for winning the December glove giveaway. Check out our store for a hat or a koozie to keep your 10-barrel beer cold. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. I appreciate all those reviews that are rolling in. Music today was performed by Poddington Bear, Broke for Free, and Scott Gratton. Thanks to Mike T for our artwork. Tune in next time on the 15th when we sit down with Carl Berkland of the National Avalanche Center. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there.